0: Okay, so um, we're going to look at the resurrection, so we're going off topic from our typical uh, study, which is the chronological life of Jesus, and we're speaking on the resurrection specifically. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the resurrection turns out to be absolutely critical and fundamental to our faith. So if you look, for example, in Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 9 and 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So again, he says that you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is his Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. Look at those two requirements. Uh, that this, is a, this is what he puts before us. That we have to be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead. And then in verse 10 he says, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. The righteousness comes through believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then the question comes, what do we mean by a resurrection? Many people will give you, quote-unquote, a spiritual resurrection. I've talked with many men, and they'll say, oh yeah, they believe in a spiritual resurrection. Well, was the scripture speaking about a spiritual resurrection, or truly a physical resurrection, where something more than just the spirit of Jesus is rising from the dead, but his actual physical body. This is what we're talking about, the physical body, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So turn over to to, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, start looking at it from verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures." And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So you see, he says in in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I make known to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you, you stand. It is in this gospel that you will stand. You will become old and cynical concerning faith, concerning Jesus Christ if you don't stand in the truth of the resurrection. If you ever think yourself so smart and so wise that you can rationalize this thing away, you will not stand as a believer. It would be very hard to stand as a believer in Christ. Um, You know, I I have uh, on my website, you know, I've spoken about it. I was going to cover it today, but I don't want to because there's so many other things that I want to cover But many people will say, well, I read the resurrection accounts and they don't match up. They don't make sense. The resurrection accounts are talked about in the four different Gospels. They absolutely do match up and they absolutely do make sense. So when someone says to me, for example, oh, the the New Testament is is full of errors and, and full of inconsistencies, I say, okay, would you show me three? They say, well, it's full of the inconsistency. I say, okay, if it's full of them, you should be able to turn to any page and show me inconsistency. So why don't you just show me 3 got a big book there. Show me three. And they'll walk away and scoff because they are idiots or they have checked their brain at the door before they came in. Either they're very smart, but they're just not using their heads, or they're really idiots to say that. They to think that there would be so many scholars that would look at this, that would study this, and grab hold of it, and that at the age of 18, this kid has proved all of them wrong. I mean, this is utterly ridiculous for people that have poured their lives into this study. So, if you go onto my website and you look under the audio messages, the individual messages, messages message number three, has has uh, where I, I go over this, the, different, the four different accounts, and how they do match up. They don't match up exactly this happened and this happened and this happened. They all match up in exactly what they say, but they're looking at it from a different perspective. There are no controversies between them. And as we will cover today, if they matched up word for word, then it's a lie. Then it's collusion. You don't get four accounts from four different people all matching up in every detail. They must be consistent, and they are absolutely all consistent. And you'll see on that website, and you can download this PowerPoint and go through it with me, and actually see that it is there. So what I ask you is, don't check your brain at the door. I know that that you're all smart, and you all solve differential equations, and you can do all of that. So bring the same brain that you solve your differential equations in to the study of the Scriptures. And it will make sense. It will make sense. And so he says, this is by which you stand. In Verse 2. By which also you are saved. This is an issue of salvation. He says, it is by this that you are saved. I presume if you're here, you have some interest in salvation or some interest in people who get saved, some reason why you would be here. The scriptures say, by this you are, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, that's an interesting statement. So it is possible to believe something in vain. You say, well, he has his belief, I have mine. Well, one of those, if they're different, is going to be in vain. He says, it is possible to believe in vain, and he says it three times in half of this chapter. Then he says in verse 3, "...for I deliver to you as the first importance what I also receive." So he's saying, this is the most important thing. So we have studied the Scriptures every week in this class for 13 years. This is the most important subject. This is what the Scriptures say. What we are covering today is the most important subject. Not by my opinion, but by a much higher opinion. But Paul the Apostle says, this is the most important subject. And he says, I'm delivering to you what I also received. Paul didn't receive this from men. Remember, Paul, when he got saved, was led off into the wilderness, and he was instructed by the Son of God himself. Paul saw Jesus, which was, in fact, according to the Scriptures, was what was needed to be called an apostle. Eyewitness. Eyewitness to, to the resurrection of Jesus. Paul saw Jesus in his resurrection. That's what made him an apostle. Paul used that. He says, have I not seen the Lord as a proof of his apostleship? I know today lots of people go around, they introduce themselves. Hi, I'm apostle so-and-so. Apostle so-and-so, wow. So you saw Jesus, he appeared to you. Now he might have, but that was one of the requirements. And the other outcome of being an apostle is that you were usually imprisoned and killed. So I'm not sure that you so readily want to be an apostle. So he says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He's saying this is the most important thing, that He died he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, the most important thing. And he says he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So see, remember Peter's other name was Cephas. We've covered that. He says he appeared to, to, to Peter, to Cephas, and then to the twelve, all at once. The twelve, he appeared all. There were several. Then he uh, appeared um, to over 500 brethren at one time. So he appeared to Cephas, then at twelve, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Remember, the term fallen asleep, asleep was death of the believer. When a believer died, even when the, the little girl died, Jesus said, she's not dead, she's asleep. In other words, when there is the expectation that they are very much in the bosom of Abraham, and they will live forever, what we call death, Jesus called sleep. He should know, all right? The implication was that they will rise again. And, and then he says, then he appeared to James, that's his brother, who then later became the, the leader in the Jerusalem church, that's the, the, the physical brother of Jesus, and, and then to all the apostles. Then he goes on, so he starts documenting then he says, now let's skip down to verse 12. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. If Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, then your faith is in vain. This is just a grand social organization that you pour your money and your time into. But it has no meaning that's of the, any significance for eternity if Christ has not risen from the dead. It's all in vain. You might as well just go out and, you know, join the Lions Club. There is something about this that is much deeper, much deeper, that it, and it embodied, it's embodied within the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or else it's all in vain. Verse 15, moreover, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Look at that. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. What does that mean? means no salvation. You're still in your sins and your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins if Christ has not been raised. Verse 20, but if Christ has been raised from the dead, uh, I'm sorry, let's look at verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If Christ is only for this life, we are of all men most to be pitied. He's risen from the dead. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through (coughs) Just covering scripture to show you what would have happened had the resurrection been faked. If the resurrection had been faked, how would it have been set up? And these are indications. One of the ways you're taught to prove things. For example, in science, you set everything up and then you start shooting things down. That's one way and you see what's left. So what we're going to do is we're going to start building this and taking a look at what the Scriptures say. And there are no inconsistencies between the four Gospels. And if you think there are, you have not really studied it. You must study it. Or you go to that that, that portion on my website that I told you, and and, and I've, I've studied it for you. And I've pulled out all the verses, and I show you that this verse does not contradict this verse, nor this verse, this verse. And you go right on through it, and you can see that there is a very clear pattern to the resurrection and the events of the the resurrection. They do not conflict with any of of the other events. So, for example, let's look at, at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Let's put to rest whether this was a spiritual resurrection only, or if it really embodied a physical. And by physical, I mean physical resurrection. John chapter 20. Let's start reading um, in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Okay, so Jesus appeared to, many of the, uh, to, to a bunch of the other apostles. Thomas was not with them. Now, Thomas was one of the twelve. Judas had already killed himself. Uh, uh, and and so now there were eleven left. Thomas, um, so, so Thomas was one of the t- one of the remaining eleven, but he was not with them during this appearance of Jesus. And so now they tell Thomas, they say, "Hey, we saw Jesus." And look what Thomas says, verse twenty-five. So the other disciples were saying to him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "Unless I see in his hands." The imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. So does this sound to you like a man who is just trying to believe something that he really doesn't believe? Or does this sound to you like a skeptic? Sounds like a skeptic, doesn't it? Sounds like a skeptic. Sounds like any normal human being. How can a normal human being believe in a physical resurrection? These things don't happen every day. So Thomas is actually very much like, like you and I would be. We would be this way. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. In fact, you, you know, for all I know, Thomas is saying, you're going to set up some virtual image. You know, you bring in the sunlight from this direction, this direction, you put, you know, something behind it, and there's this ghost-like figure. He says, I'm not going to believe it unless I take my finger and I stick it into the hole where the nails were. Moreover, I won't believe it unless, remember the, 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 the soldier stuck Jesus in the side, and blood came out, unless I stick my hand into the hole in his side like to see you you know put something together because it's got to be kind of warm in there and if he's really alive i should you know feel this pulsing going on when i stick my hand into his his abdominal cavity so this is not a guy that's wanting to believe like oh yeah yeah oh yeah i think i see it no i mean he really wanted to do it this guy is a real skeptic as he should be there's nothing wrong with that After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut. And he stood in their midst. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Then Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. So Jesus comes in the room. He says, peace be with you. He says, shalom aleichem. The same greeting that is used today, Jesus used. And he used the same greeting with them just, just above in verse 19 when he had come to the other disciples. Jesus he came in. He says, Shalom. Shalom Aleichem. Peace be with you. He comes in and he says to, to Thomas, he says, oh, Thomas, come here a minute. I got something special for you. So Thomas comes up. He says, I want you to take your finger and I want you to stick it right here in this hole in my hand. It's okay, Lord. No problem. I believe Uh-uh. You've got to do this. You've got to stick your finger into the hole in my hand. So Thomas does this. I'm sure he wasn't like, "Hey, yeah, let me do this." And then Jesus says, "I want you to do something else. I want you to take your hand and stick it into the hole in my side." Well, by the way, the bus the, the bus is going to leave at 11:30, the bus will leave. So you'll get a so anyway. So I want you to take your hand and stick it into the hole in my side. Can you imagine that? And Jesus is you know, opening up his toga or whatever they wore, and this is his tunic, his cloak, and there's this hole still in his side. And he tells Thomas, stick your hand in it." I don't want to stick my hand in there. It's okay, Jesus. No, stick your hand in there. So you... More, deeper. Now, how could this be? This is what he says. He says, I want you to do this. You know, you wonder, did the other guy say, hey, let me try that too. But <laughs> <laughs> Jesus tells him to do this. The hole is still there. He has Thomas stick his hand in there. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is putting to bed any, any thought that this is just some, some spiritual resurrection. This is a physical resurrection. Now turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to start reading from uh, verse 36. Luke twenty four thirty six. And while they were telling these things, He Himself stood in their midst and He said, Peace be to you. Same greeting. Shalom alechum. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. Aha! There is where the spirit thing came. Spiritual resurrection. They thought they were seeing a spirit. You know, it must be... His ghost. You know, his ghost. His body still must be in the grave. So what does Jesus do? He wants to end this right there. So he says, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Look what he does. He says, Come on, touch me. See my hands, you know, the ones with the holes in them. See my feet. Why my hands and my feet? Because the ones with the hole in them, that's the one. I'm the guy. The guy who was on that cross, it's me. It's not just, you know, a twin. you got the right guy. See my hands and my feet. Touch me. Touch me. A spirit has not flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you got something to eat? Huh? Have you got something to eat? I mean, I thought this was supposed to be some high spiritual time. Whoa. You got something to eat? He is trying to say to them, I'm just a regular guy risen from the dead, physical. You got something to eat? And you know what they're thinking? Jesus loves fish. Every time he was multiplying fish, he was cooking on the beach fish. If the guy likes fish, it's Jesus. So he just asked them for something to eat. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. What does he do? He demonstrates to them even eating. He eats eating fish. He's eating broiled fish. This is a physical resurrection. Do the Scriptures teach just a spiritual resurrection? No! Unless you checked your brain at the door, or unless you're an idiot. You have to do justice to what the Scriptures say. If you're going to do justice to what the Scriptures say, you've got to bring the intelligence that you have and bring it to this book. Book and say, is this book teaching a spiritual resurrection? The answer is no. So you don't do justice to the text if you just speak about a spiritual resurrection. This is a physical resurrection. If the Bible were going to build up some fallacy, some story about Jesus, some legend, they would, it would, they would have waited some period of time from the time of the crucifixion event to the time when the legend starts. Generally, legends start hundreds of years after the event. Certainly after the death of all the people who lived in that generation who were there. Then the legend starts. Here, it's happening the very morning he rises from the dead, there are sightings of him. You would never do this if you were just building up A legend. It is not a legend that Jesus has risen from the dead. He has risen physically from the dead. Number two, you would publish this far from the venue in which it occurred. You would not publish this right there in Jerusalem. You would go far, far away, like to Rome. You start saying, you know, back in Jerusalem, let me tell you what happened back there. You start to build this legend. You don't start a legend at the same time in the same place that it happened where everything can be checked. This is not how you start legends. You would select witnesses very carefully. Certainly nobody that could be questioned. What did Paul do in First Corinthians? He listed who the people were. <clears throat> he said he appeared, to, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to over 500 people at one time when Jesus was taken up. It says there were 500 people there saw him taken up. And guess what? Hallucinations are not shared. People do have hallucinations, but hallucinations are never shared. In other words, one person has one hallucination, another one has another one. But you don't have 500 people have the same hallucination. So it's not 500 people just hallucinizing that Jesus is going up doesn't happen doesn't happen that way there's no hallucination here when 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 they see him going up as it talks about in the book of acts over 500 people at one time now look at some of the other people that are documented in in the uh, in the gospels look in John chapter 19 in John chapter 19 again specific people are mentioned John chapter 19 verse 38 John chapter 19, verse 38. This is right after the death of Jesus on the cross. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away the body. Nicodemus, who was the first to come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. The scriptures cho- chose two people. Specifically, one Joseph of Arimathea, the other Nicodemus, both of them were on the Sanhedrin. This body of 71 members, they were on this body of 71 members who were the ruling party of Israel. They chose two men to name, one of them Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple of Jesus, and it tells us in John chapter 12 that many even of the rulers believed on him, but they were not confessing him for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue because of the Pharisees. Because they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. That's what it says in John chapter 12. But here it says, two of them came out of the closet. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And they came out and they said that, that uh, they went and they were going to take the body of Jesus down. If they were not putting the body of Jesus if the body of Jesus were really still alive and had never really been put to death, don't you think that they would go and, and, and why would they name these two people on the Sanhedrin specifically by name? You can check with them. He's saying, come on, check with them. The body of Jesus was dead. Was dead. You know, you will hear people today say, oh yeah, but Jesus never really died on the cross. The swoon theory that, you know, they, they, they took him off the cross before he died. I mean, check with Joseph. Check with Nicodemus. You can check with these guys. The Scripture puts people before us. It, it, and so it names all of these people. It says, go ahead, check with them. The book of 1 Corinthians was written about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So of the 500 people, he says, most of them are still alive today. If you go to our church and you, you just pick a random five, uh, random 500 people... Come back 20 years later, you know, maybe 20% of them have passed away, but, you know, a good number of them are still alive. This is what he's saying. So, so uh, um, if you were building some, some legend or some fallacy, you would never choose individuals' names. You just don't do that. Okay, so, let, let's look in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. let us Let's see who Jesus first appeared to. Mark chapter 16, verse nine. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So let me just just point out here that Jesus died on a Friday. He was in the ground all day Saturday, and he rose just as Sunday morning was coming w- w- was dawning. And so the day started for them at 6 a.m. Jesus died just at around, around uh, uh, 3 p.m. or a little, little after that on Friday, before sundown, which meant that, that before 6 p.m., Jesus died. He touched Friday, he, t- he was in the grave all day Saturday, and, and uh, uh, just touched Sunday, and he rose from the dead. Now people look at the verse which says that he would be three days and three nights in the grave and they say he had to die on Wednesday or something to, to have done this. That is, that is not true. There are several places in the Bible where, first of all, in Jewish mindset, if you touch a day, that is part of the day. And there are several other places in the Bible where you see that come back after three days and it couldn't have been three 24-hour days. You just touch a day and that is part of the day. You, you do the same sort of thing with uh, uh, birth years. You, you know, you say, I'm, I, I might be one year and, and nine months old, and I say, I'm one year old. You see what I mean? You, you, you do that, we do that w- with years, where we extend out a year. They do the same thing with days. Jesus died because it had to have been on a Friday, because he died just, they couldn't start the Passover. That's why they had to get these guys killed. They broke their legs. And they just confirmed with Jesus to stab them in the side. They had to get them killed before the Passover started on Friday night. So, uh, 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 as they went into the Passover on Friday night. So, he had to have died on Friday afternoon. Stayed in the grave on Saturday. Just stayed in the grave moments on Sunday and rose up. He touched all three days. But it says here in verse 9, He had risen early on the first day of the week, for he appeared to Mary Magdalene. So he first appeared to Mary. The first person that Jesus appeared to was Mary. Mary Magdalene, the one from whom he had cast out seven demons, was the first person that Jesus appeared to. Now if you look in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians it says in chapter 15, that it says in verse 5, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The first person, Person that Paul mentions is Cephas. Now, he doesn't say Cephas was the first person he appeared to. It just says, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Why did he skip Mary? Why doesn't he mention Mary? He doesn't mention Mary because in the Jewish mindset, as with the Roman mindset in that day, women had zero, zero legal standing. Their testimony meant nothing Absolutely nothing. And if it offends you, get over it. That's where the time was. All right? So your being offended won't change what it was. That was a long time ago. All right? It has nothing to do with what it is today. But at that time, a woman's testimony was equivalent to a two year old's testimony, a woman's testimony was equivalent to the family dog's testimony. You don't say the family dog, was that the burglar that robbed the home? <laughs> Their testimony means nothing, alright? What the dog says or doesn't say means nothing in a court of law. That's exactly what it was for a woman. So when Paul is building a legal argument, he doesn't even mention the women because their testimony of him was irrelevant. Their testimony of Jesus. Now why would Mark record that Jesus appeared first to Mary? Why would Mark do that? Because that's the way it happened. That's the way it happened. Jesus has no regard for the customs of that time. He'll appear to whoever He wants to appear. If they were making this up, he never they never would have said He appeared first to Mary. They never would have because it would have been ridiculous to use that as, oh yeah, now it's a credible argument because He appeared to Mary. He appeared to Mary, now it's credible. In fact, when When the women came back and said that he's risen, you know, many of the apostles just dismissed it. They they said they didn't even believe it. You know, it, it, it didn't mean anything to them. They just absolutely dismissed this fact. So, if they were just building this up fictitiously, they would have never done Mary being the first person to have seen him. All right, um... The first... Okay, the other thing that would be done is you would surround the event with impressive displays. Nobody, nobody actually saw Jesus come out of the grave. There is no indication of that. If you look in Matthew chapter 28, which is the nearest thing that you might find to it, Matthew chapter 28. And then reading from verse... um, Let's let's start reading verse 1, Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. This, the writer here, Matthew, had to have gotten this by revelation because nobody was there. Nobody saw this. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So the guards saw this angel roll away the stone, but they didn't see Jesus come out. And we know that, it says, because they just saw the angel and they shook with fear and they became like dead men. What does that mean? You faint. You become like like a dead man. They have all fainted. So nobody actually saw Jesus came out. If you were building this up, wouldn't you say, and he came out and he was shining and he was rising and he was... you, that's, you know, that's the climax of the story. They don't even mention it. This is what gives this account credibility. Nothing matches up with the way you would make it up. And, and, and then, now here's what happens if you go ahead and make, try to make something up. Um, in verse 11, Now while they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if they should come to, the, if it should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. It is actually to this day. Many people say his disciples stole away the body. To this day. Well, you know how stupid this is. How could the guards have seen them steal the body if they were asleep? If you're asleep, you don't see them steal away the body. If they were awake, you stop them. They're just a bunch of, you know, fishermen. You're the guards and and you're trained to kill. I mean, you practice killing. It is your practice. And so they made up a story and immediately it made no sense. Because that's what happens when you make up stories. And by the way, the guards were, were, were killed, the other gospel says, for, for uh, losing track of all of this. The different gospels speak about this in different ways. Because if it were exactly the same, it speaks of collusion. When I grade organic chemistry papers, and, and um, I did this, two students went away on, a, on some class trip, and I sent the exam with their professor, they were supposed to go up to their respective rooms, take the exam, give it back to the professor, and the professor gave it to me when he came back. They went off on some school trip. Well, I I graded... Usually these are just graded by the TAs, and I never even see them. But I thought, you know, just two exams, I can handle this. So I grade one exam, and then I start grading the other exam. I'm thinking, I feel as if I've seen this before. It was exactly the same as the other one. And not only that... The, the molecule was, say, drawn like this on the paper. On the other paper, it was drawing exactly the same angle. Now, there's, there's one right or answer in organic chemistry. There's an infinite number of wrong answers. And when all the wrong answers are the same, there's collusion. And they are all happening to be drawn at... You, you know, molecules rotate in space. They can be any direction. You all happen to rotate them the same way. And so, you know, I, I send these to the Honors Council, and they slice these people up, and... And, 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 uh, which I'm not happy about at all. But, but, you know, they did what they did. When things are exactly the same, it's a dead ringer for collusion. The way the Gospels are, in, are constructed shows you that they did not collude. They didn't go, oh, what did you write? Oh, kill, 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 That's exactly what it is not. That's why it speaks to its authenticity to those who are trained in this. The other thing is you would paint yourself in a good light. Look in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 11. Mark chapter 16, verse 11. When they heard that He was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe. Never would you write that about yourself. As soon as I saw Mary coming, I knew that she was bringing back word that Jesus has risen. Because He said He would. Why would I do anything else but believe? I believed it. Even before it happened, I knew it would happen. You write yourself in a good light. Never. What do you say? I didn't believe. But it says all the apostles didn't believe. You don't write that way. We have examples in the Scriptures, and and, and there's this example, a beautiful example in Acts 22, verse 24. It says, and and I'll just tell you the story, This, this, uh, this Roman centurion, Lysias, Claudius Lysias, he comes and he grabs Paul in, in this fray, and he has Paul put in chains, and he's going to have him strung up and stretched in thongs until he talks of talks. And then as he's about to be stretched, he says to the guard that's about to do this, he says, is it lawful for you to do this to a Roman citizen before he's been condemned? And right away the guard jumped back. He didn't realize that Paul was a Roman city, citizen having been born in Tarsus, which made him a Roman citizen. And so, the guard goes back to Claudius Lysus and says, What are you about to do? That guy is a Roman citizen. And the guy, and they right away take the chains off him, and, and they confirm that he's a Roman citizen. So, Lys, Claudius Lysus is now sending Paul forward to his superior. And he writes, and he says in Acts 23, verse 26, When I saw that he was being poorly treated, I came and I saved him and I am presenting him now to you. He wrote himself only in a good light. This is exactly what I do. You know, sometimes people want to know, you know what, do you have a problem with this? I don't want to tell you about my problems. You want to hear about my problems? You go talk to my wife. She will tell you about problems that I don't even have. I mean, she knows everything. <laughs> but I paint myself in a good light. This is what we do. Especially if you're writing stories for other people. But you don't, all of them write that, you you know, none of them believe this word. So this is not a made up an account. Also, what you do is you squelch anything that might bring controversy. So in other words, you want to investigate this? If you don't just believe it, if you don't just believe it, you start investigating this, your eyes will rot in your head. You surround this with omens. This is what other religions do. You want to start checking on other things? There's all these penalties checking. The Bible says, check it out. Check it out. Here's the people. God never condemns us for asking questions, for checking on these things. If this were a made-up account, they would just put all these omens around it. Here they're saying, here's the people. Ask them. Check them. If you were going to start a new religion, you would never start it around a resurrection. You'd never do this. Because that's too hard to believe. You start around, Jesus loved the little children. You you start around something that's good and easy. Why start it? He rose from the dead. You would never start a new religion like this. Unless that's exactly how it happened. And the last thing is, they were willing to die based on what they knew. Every one of the, the apostles died, except for John was banished to an island, because John was the only one who never left the foot of the cross. All the other ones had deserted him. They all died. It says Peter was, was, it doesn't say in the scriptures, but, but other writings talk about how Peter was, was crucified upside down. Some of the other apostles were flayed alive. You know what that means? Tie down and start pulling off their skin, slicing off their skin while they're still alive. Late alive. That's got to hurt. They died for what they knew to be true. Now, many people die for what they believe to be true. You and I would die, many of us, for what we believe to be true. Not just in Christianity, lots of religions do that. But nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. You'd think when they're getting ready to flay these guys, they go, ah, it was just a joke. Let me show you where we took the body. One of them is going to speak up. You're not going to have 11 guys die for this. Do you see what I'm saying? Lots of people die for what they believe to be true. Nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. These men died for what they knew to be a lie. This is not something made up. This is something that we can bank on. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Your word is true, and the resurrection is true. This has occurred because of Your great hand. Father, thank You that Jesus has risen physically from the dead, and this is critical to our faith. Thank You, Father, that You place within the hearts of men and women the ability to believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. I commit these young hearts to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.